Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege it is to gather as your people. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who does speak. You are not silent. And Lord, we pray that we may have ears to listen today as we um, hear your word as read aloud and also as we hear your word expounded and preached to the people here. Lord, we pray that we may be able to put into practice what we hear today and so be able to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ all the more fully as a result of examining your word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in our household, blood is always a cause for great concern. As soon as any speck of blood appears and it demands an examination, an assessment has to be gone through as to what we need to do with this piece of blood, this presence of blood that's in the house. We need to look at how did it happen, uh, where is it on the body? Where does it come from? How much blood is there? Is there a lot or is it just a, a tiny little bit? Is there any pain associated with this blood that has suddenly appeared in our household? And then we have to go through treatment options as to what's going to happen next with this presence of blood. Is there enough for an ambulance? We've never had to do that yet. Is there enough for stitches? Uh, we have had to do that in our house uh, with the presence of blood. Uh, also, of course, then the next option is if there's no stitches, uh, is this enough for a band-aid or is it simply something that we can kiss better and move on? And for some people in our household, they will milk anything that they can for a band-aid. The presence of a band-aid is a wonderful thing on your body and if we can get a band-aid there, we'll do everything we possibly can, including squeezing the wound to try and get more blood out of it if it's possible. Blood is something that we are quite concerned about uh, when it appears in our households. And blood is something that has been important to people throughout history and including in the Bible. The Bible speaks about blood quite extensively at different points, particularly the blood of animals in the Old Testament. Sacrifices are made regularly, blood sacrifices are made, and so blood shows up quite often in the Bible. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, an instance where blood showed up in quite a large amount and what happened with that blood and the significance of that blood's presence in Israelite history. And that's what we're looking at in Exodus chapter 24. If you've got a black church Bible, I encourage you to have it open to page 78 as we look at Exodus chapter 24 and the significance of blood in this chapter and what else happens that's associated with this presence of blood. How did the Israelites get here though? Where does Exodus 24 uh, land in our Bibles? Well, uh, of course the Bible starts with Genesis. You have Adam and Eve created. Then you have eventually from them you get Abraham. Abraham uh, has uh, a, a grandson called Israel. From Israel you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes of Israel eventually, well, the, the children of Israel end up in Egypt and they have a lot of babies in Egypt, uh, multiply greatly, and to the point where the Egyptians actually get afraid of their presence. And so in a series of demands that are made to Pharaoh, the Israelites leave Egypt, along with some plagues that are inflicted upon Egypt, and they start to come through the desert on their way to the promised land, to the land that God has told them that they need to uh, possess. And they have gathered before God at Mount Sinai and God has revealed to them his law and that comes in chapter 20 of Exodus Exodus chapter 20. We read the Ten Commandments are given there and then a number of other laws are given after that and then 
we see that uh, God then institutes this ceremony that happens in Exodus 24, which involves a sacrifice and quite a significant amount of blood. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. We've come to this point in Israelite history where they're on their way to the promised land, but they have this pit stop where something significant happens here with the law and with a sacrifice in particular. And so my first main point this morning is, from this passage, that a blood sacrifice is made for the Israelites. A blood sacrifice is made for the Israelites. If you want to follow my main points, they're listed there on the back of the church bulletin. And the first is, a blood sacrifice is made for the Israelites. And we see that in verses 4 through to verse 6 of Exodus chapter 24. Uh, So from verse 4, we see that Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said, And then we read, he got up, that's Moses, early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So he built an altar. Then what does he do next? Verse 5, then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And then Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. So we see an altar set up. We see sacrifices are made, a burnt offering and fellowship or peace offerings are made with young bulls. And from those bulls, blood is contained in two separate bowls. Half the blood goes into one bowl and half goes into another bowl. This is the first step. We've got a sacrifice made, a blood sacrifice is made. What happens next? I mean, there's too much blood here for us to leave and say, oh, this has no significance whatsoever. We've got bowlfuls of blood. In our household, we've never had bowlfuls of blood. We have had the need for stitches, but even that did not produce a bowlful of blood. We have a significant amount of blood. What needs to happen next? Well, that brings me to my second main point. A command is given to the Israelites. A command is given to the Israelites. And that follows on from verse 6 where we've got the blood put into bowls. In verse 7 then we read, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. Moses takes this book of the covenant and reads it to the people. And that is the commands that are given from Exodus chapter 20 which includes the Ten Commandments and what follows from Exodus chapter 20 to the end of Exodus chapter 23. So we've got all these laws that are given and a part of God's covenant that he is making with these people. He's making this promise. He's making a declaration, you are my people who are redeemed from Egypt and this is the way you are to behave. And so after this sacrifice is made, a command is given to the people by this reading of the law that they are now to live a different way. So a command is given to them. What happens next then? We've got the blood, we've got this command, we haven't really done much with the blood yet. What happens next? Well, that brings me to my third main point. An obedience is declared by the Israelites. An obedience is declared by the Israelites. After this giving of the law, this reading of the covenant, the people profess obedience to it. And we see that in verse 7 as well. It says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The Israelites have seen this sacrifice made. They've heard the law read to them. And then what do they do in response? They say, 
We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. They profess obedience to God. They're confessing that they are going to be his people and he is going to be their God and that they are going to obey him as their God. But we still haven't seen what happens with the blood. We've had the blood show up. We've had this command given, or a bunch of commands. Then we've had the people profess obedience. What's happening with the blood? It's sitting there in these bowls. What's going to happen with this blood? And that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. A cleansing is given to the Israelites. A cleansing is given to the Israelites. Once the Israelites declare that they will keep the covenant, Moses then sprinkles them with this blood. And we read that in verse 8. Verse 8 says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses now takes the blood and he throws it, sprinkles it on the people. And he's already sprinkled half on an altar, on the altar back when the sacrifice was made. Now this other bowl he sprinkles on the people. Why does he do that? Well, it's part of their cleansing. Now you may be thinking that doesn't really sound like a clean thing to do. If you're going to get clean, you don't throw blood on yourself, you throw water on yourself. Why is he throwing blood on the people here? How is it a cleansing? Well, the blood sacrifice indicates that something else has died in your place. We are sinners. The Israelites are sinners. And they are dirty on the inside. And because of the filth of their sins, they need to be cleansed. Otherwise, they have to pay for their sins themselves. And so the only way to be cleansed, if God is just, is if another sacrifice, if a sacrifice is made, something else is killed in their place, and the blood of that animal or person who is killed in their place then cleanses them because the wrath that God owes to them for their sin is poured out on that sacrifice instead. And the Bible actually teaches that that is the meaning of a sacrifice and the Bible actually has a bit of a commentary on this one passage in Exodus chapter 24. And whenever you're trying to understand the Bible, it is important to look at whether the Bible has something to say about the Bible. The best commentator on the Bible is God himself. And so I want you to flip over to page 1189, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Page 1189 and verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 9 tells us what this is all about. It tells you what I've just told you, but of course uh, in the language of God. God speaks himself. Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 9 reads, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify, that means make them holy, cleanse them, so that they are outwardly clean. You don't think you're outwardly clean if you've got blood on you, but that's what is happening. You are inwardly clean from your sin and outwardly clean. And then verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, 
so that we may serve the living God. We'll come back to that verse in a bit about the blood of Christ. But I'll get you to jump down to verse 16 with me. It says, In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. So remember, there's a covenant being made, and it's like a will. And when we think about wills, we recognize that a will doesn't come into effect until somebody dies. And it's the same with God's covenant. Somebody must die. Something must die. And that's what's happened back in Exodus chapter 24. And then we read verse 18, which commentates on that very passage we've been looking at. Verse 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. What is happening when Moses is sprinkling the people? He is cleansing them and they are given forgiveness for the sins that they have committed. These Israelites are being forgiven because of the blood sacrifice that has been made on their behalf. So that is what is happening back here in Exodus chapter 24. The blood has great significance because it is through the blood that these Israelites are being cleansed, that they are being granted forgiveness from God. And so this passage is a wonderful passage in Israelite history as they find out about God, who he is and what he requires of them. They then profess obedience and then they are able to be part of God's family, even though they have been enemies of God because of their sin. They are brought into a right relationship with him. Why? Because of the blood. Because of that bowl of blood that is there and the, the blood being sprinkled upon them, thrown upon them, demonstrates that God has accepted that sacrifice on their behalf. That those bulls died in their place. And so they do not have to pay for their sins because those bulls have instead, and the blood signifies that. But what is the whole purpose of this? What then ends up happening once you have forgiveness? Maybe you don't think forgiveness with God is that important. Why would the Israelites want forgiveness with God? Why would they want that from him? Well, then something very interesting happens once they have had the blood sprinkled upon them. And that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. A meal is shared with God by the Israelite leaders. A meal is shared with God by the Israelite leaders. And that's what happens in verse 9 and following. Verse 9 of Exodus chapter 24, I'll get you to flip back there, if you're still in Hebrews. Exodus chapter 24, verse, uh, page 78. Verse 9 reads, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. <coughs> Here we see this wonderful thing that happens once these Israelites are cleansed from their sin, 
by the sacrifice of blood, they then get to go and see God. Although they don't really see God, they get to go up into God's presence, but then what can they say about God when they see him? All they can say is, under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself, indicating that they pretty much they went into God's presence and they, had their, they were bowed down and all they could really see is the floor which God was standing on. They, just, they never got to lift up their heads. They only saw what he was standing on because their heads were parallel with the pavement. And the pavement was made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But they ate and drank with God. They went and had fellowship with God. They shared a meal with God. I do like to eat, and I can do that privately uh, quite very well on my own. I can do it in front of a TV. But another way that you can eat, of course, is with other people. And it signifies something when you'll sit down and have a meal with someone. It means that you're in a relationship with that person usually. You don't sit down and have a meal with your enemies. You're afraid they might start to poison your, your drink or your food and they might harm you in some way. You sit down and eat with those that you have a relationship with. And that is what is happening here with the Israelites. The leaders are going on the Israelites' behalf and representing them and they are sharing a meal with God. And they are allowed to do that because of what has come previously. This sacrifice has been made so that they can come and eat a meal with God. They can share a meal with God. They can be in fellowship with him. And that is why forgiveness of sins is so highly sought after by these Israelites. Forgiveness of sins means that you can be back in a right relationship with God and you can actually have fellowship with him. And that's what these leaders do here by having that meal. Now, what does this all mean for us? This is an interesting part of Israelite history, a very significant part in their relationship with God. But what significance does that have to do with us today? Thousands of years moved on from this period. What does that have to do with us today? Well, that brings me to my sixth main point this morning. My sixth main point is a blood sacrifice is made for you. A blood sacrifice has been made for you. What is that sacrifice? Have some bulls been killed on your behalf? No, Christ has been sacrificed on your behalf. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has appeared as a sacrifice for us. And we can turn back to Hebrews chapter 9 to see that. should have told you to keep your finger there. Hebrews chapter 9, which is found on page 1190, because we'll be looking at verse 23. Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 9, page 1190, 1190. And here we see that God does indeed tell us that a sacrifice has been made on our behalf. Verse 23, it says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed 
once to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Here we see the Bible speaks very specifically about what Christ was doing here on earth. He was offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. And when Christ offered himself as a sacrifice, a lot of blood was shed. And so, just like in our household, and we make an assessment, when we see blood, we've got to say, what is? what are we going to do with all this blood that may be coming? We've got to make a judgment. So it is with Christ. He shed a lot of blood. It is not insignificant that the Son of God would come and live on this earth and then die an excruciating, painful death and shed a lot of blood. Why did that happen? What are we to do with Christ's blood? Well, in a similar way to the Israelites, we then hear from God that a command is given to us. Christ has made a sacrifice and then a command is given to us. Just as the Israelites were commanded after the sacrifice was made, they were read, the law was read to them, so commands have been given to us. What is the command that God has given us today in light of Christ's sacrifice? He's given us two commands, repent and believe. They're commands. We need to turn from our sins and trust that Jesus Christ has died for us. And that is my seventh main point this morning. A command is given to you. We have this command from Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And John speaks about this. Well, John quoting Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 28, he says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What does God require of you? What is his work that he wants from you? To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in Jesus Christ. That is what you are called to do. So a sacrifice is made in Jesus. Then you're commanded to believe, to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. What then happens? Well, that brings me to my eighth main point this morning. An obedience should be declared by you. An obedience should be declared by you. Remember the Israelites, a sacrifice was made, a command was given. Then what did they do? They said, we will obey. We will do what God has said. We will obey. And that's what the New Testament tells us to do when we hear this command, to believe in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. There is an obligation, there is a command to believe and to tell people that you are a believer, to confess that God is your God. There is no place in the kingdom for people who say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus, but then they don't tell anyone. They keep it to themselves, that it's their private thing between them and God. No, there's an expectation in the Bible that you will profess the faith publicly to others. How can you do that? Well, you can do it in conversation with people. You can tell people that you're a Christian, that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's a way that God has given us that we can do it. A couple of ways that he has ordained, two ways in particular. One is through baptism. When you are baptized, you are publicly declaring to people that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when you share in the Lord's table together, you are declaring to people that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. 
That is what we're called to do. We're called to believe in Jesus Christ. That command is given and we're to follow that command and believe and profess that to those around us. Like the blind man in John chapter 9 who was healed by Jesus and then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. Or Martha, a friend of Jesus, says she said in John chapter 11, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She professes the faith that she has in Jesus. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to hear that command and then believe, profess that faith that we have in Jesus. And then what happens if you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, a cleansing is given to you. Just as we read in Hebrews chapter 9 already, but I'll read it again. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13, we see that a cleansing is given to us. And that is my ninth main point this morning. A cleansing is given to you. Page 1189, verse 13, Hebrews chapter 9, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now remember what happened to the Israelites. They were clean because of the blood of those bulls was sprinkled on them. What about us? Can we get Christ's blood sprinkled on us today, his physical blood? No, he's risen, he's, he's raised from the dead. He's not here to give us his blood physically. What does verse 14 then say? How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? If we believe in Jesus Christ, then this wonderful thing happens that Christ's blood cleanses us spiritually, not physically that it comes to us, but spiritually we are cleansed. And that blood is worth so much more than the animals that were killed for those Israelites. That's what this passage is saying in Hebrews chapter 9. How much more, if the bulls cleanse the Israelites, how much more will a human sacrifice, and a sacrifice that is the Son of God, cleanse us, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And so the Bible continues to speak about this again and again, that the blood of Christ does indeed cleanse us. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, it cleanses us. Not just Hebrews 9 declares this, but Colossians 1, 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself, that's God, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Christ's sacrifice was made. A command is given to us to believe. If we profess faith in Jesus Christ, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we are saved. And we are cleansed from that sin that we have committed. Christ has died on our behalf. What is the result if Christ has died on your behalf and you're forgiven from your sin? Well, what did benefit did it bring to the Israelites being cleansed from their sin by being forgiven? They got to share a meal with God. They got to have fellowship with God. And that is what is promised to us today as well. If we are cleansed from our sins, then we get to have communion with God. We get to have fellowship with him. And that is my tenth and final main point this morning. A meal is shared with God by you. If you 
believe in Jesus Christ, you are cleansed and you get to have a meal with God. How do you share a meal with God? Well, we've got two ways that you share a meal with God. One is by the Lord's table. Christ has given us this wonderful ordinance where we gather together and we share communion, bread, grape juice with one another as, commun- as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we're communing with one another, but we're also communing with God when we come to the Lord's table together. It is this very special time where we come into God's presence in a special way and remember Christ's death given for us. We get to take part in the Lord's table and have communion with him through the Lord's table together. That is, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get to share a meal with God. It is not for unbelievers. It is for believers, for those who have been cleansed by Christ's blood. And there's another way that we will share a meal with God. And we don't get to do this just yet, but we will one day. Luke chapter 13, verse 29, tells us about this meal where Jesus speaking says, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. In heaven there will be eating, the Bible tells us, which I'm quite pleased about. I'm not quite sure. It's one of these perennial debates that I have whether we'll be eating any meat in heaven. I do enjoy a steak. I do enjoy bacon. But if there's no death in heaven, it's one of these uh, things that I try and wrestle with. Uh, whether bacon will grow on trees in heaven. But there will be eating. There is a feast in heaven. Who is that feast for? It's for those who've had a sacrifice made, who've heard a command from God, who have listened to that command and believed, who've experienced the cleansing of Jesus' blood and then are invited to feast with God. We'll get to share a meal with Jesus Christ in heaven and with the patriarchs as well. Abraham will be there. We'll get to meet him, find out a bit about him. Sometimes I wonder how it will work when there's so many people who have become Christians over the years. Like, when, how will I spend, how will I get time with Jesus when there'll be so many other people that'll be there? Well, we've got all of eternity to spend in the queue till your time comes up. There will be time. I'm sure that we'll get to spend with Jesus and share a meal with him. That is, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if that sacrifice has been made on your behalf, because if a sacrifice has not been made on your behalf, then you are still dead in your sins. You are not cleansed. You're still filthy. And you will be punished for your sins. So have you accepted the sacrifice of Christ for your sin? Have you heard the command? to believe and then professed obedience. You've all heard it this morning, unless you've been asleep or uh, tuned out and thinking about lunch. I've commanded you all here to believe in Jesus Christ. Have you heard that command and then professed obedience? I would love to see everybody in this church, older people, children as well, profess faith in Jesus Christ. We all have a responsibility to follow that command to listen to God's command, to believe in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? And then do you profess that to others around you? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you been baptised? Have you professed to people that you're a believer by your baptism? And then, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you recognised that you've been sprinkled with Christ's blood? You are cleansed 
and you have a wonderful opportunity to share in a meal with Christ and with his people. And you have that even today as we come to the Lord's table together. If that is you, then enjoy that fellowship. Remember the significance of what it is to come to the Lord's table together. That that means you're sharing a meal with God, like those elders did so long ago. And God didn't eat at that meal, but they ate with God. They were able to go into his presence. And that's what we're doing today as we come together as a family and we come and eat that bread and drink that grape juice together, it is a wonderful privilege that we should be thanking God for and not seeing it as a, a thing that we have to endure and it's going to take a little bit longer of the service today and oh, it's a pain that it's the first Sunday of the month because it will be a longer service. No, this is a great privilege that we have, that we get to share a meal with God despite our unholiness, that we have been cleansed by Jesus' blood. Do you look forward to Communion Sundays? Would you lobby me to have it every week, as some churches do, that we commune with God in this special way? And do you look forward to sharing that meal in heaven where people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God? Are you looking forward to that? If you're a Christian, we have so much to look forward to, so much to be thankful to God for. The biggest thing is, of course, that we are in fellowship with him. We can have fellowship with him in this world and we will have fellowship with him in the next world, despite our unholiness. Do you rejoice in that fact? Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this part of your word, which was written so many years ago but still holds the same principles that are in effect today. That a sacrifice has been made, commands have been given, and Lord, if we profess an obedience to your law, if we profess that we believe in Jesus Christ as we should, we are cleansed and we get to enjoy fellowship with you and even enjoy a fellowship meal. Lord, we pray that we may all consider where our hearts are at, We've heard the command. May we consider, have we believed? And have we professed that faith? Like those Israelites professed it so many years ago. May we say, we will obey the Lord. And may we rejoice, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, may we rejoice in the cleansing that we have experienced. And may we rejoice in the fellowship that we have with you. And may we look forward to times of special fellowship, Fellowship around the Lord's table with your people and fellowship in heaven. Oh, Lord, may our eyes always be fixed upon that heavenly home, not on this place where we are aliens and strangers passing through, but may we look forward to the heavenly home where we will take our place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, may that be our delight, our joy day by day as we look forward to that wonderful privilege we have of feasting with your Son and with yourself. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.